0: Hello, everybody. And thank you for tuning in to another episode of Bridging the Gap. We're so excited to have you. And I'm really excited about today's episode. We've got an amazing guest that I am going to introduce here uh, in a second. But I always like to reiterate why we started this podcast of Bridging the Gap. My background's in wealth management, starting a wealth management firm, helping to build another wealth management firm, also starting a technology company. And I, I feel that You know, this podcast is meant to help financial advisors and the entire advisory industry really bridge the gap between where the industry is today and where our industry will be in the future. Ultimately, I think it's great for this industry and what we're trying to do with this podcast to ensure that we stay up with the trends, stay up with the innovation, and ultimately, evolve our business to ensure the best experience for our clients in the years to come. It's not to, to say that here's how you have to, you have to change every way. It's a matter of having conversations about topics in our industry to help create knowledge for all of us to make better decisions. And a big you know driver for me is wanting to take some of my experiences that I had sitting across individual families, both high net worth and mass affluent helping them solve through some of their challenges and overcome some of their financial challenges and ultimately see the other side. And I think that, you know, I've sat in that seat and I understand the challenges that advisors and teams have. And what we wanted to do is say, how do we make strides into a positive future change with that knowledge of how business has been done and then knowing what is now available to businesses for what they can do in the future? And how do we ensure that we keep the client-advisor relationship at this core? That is what is so valuable. What is our unique differentiator in all of our businesses, in my opinion, is the client-advisor relationship. And there's no better way for us to ensure that that continues to stay at the core while also innovating than creating a community of advisors and industry professionals and, and sharing thoughts and views and ideas from within the industry and be specific to what we actually do in our role in this industry. And some things you may agree with and some things you may disagree with, and that's okay. Ultimately what we need to do as an industry is start creating conversation and being okay with sharing ideas and collaborating to better the entire industry because a stronger foundational and more innovative industry is better for everybody within the industry. And that's what I hope everybody takes away from this is maybe one or two points that they can go and, whether they they implement them right away or it helps them with their thought process for future, you know, decisions that they make within their business. And and as you all know, community is benefited by multiple opinions, right? We need multiple people talking and multiple people providing ideas. And the way that you build a community that creates more value and is unique to each listener is by spreading the word. And so our goal is to create positive and innovative change for the industry together. And so I'd love for you to, you know, follow this podcast on Spotify or iTunes or whatever your podcasting app may be and and like it and and subscribe to the podcast and even share the podcast with some of your peers in the industry that you may think benefit from it. And I think that, you know, if that is the best sign that we are doing the right thing and that we can create this community that is for positive change, helping all advisors grow, and the more this industry grows, the better it is for each individual that's inside this industry. And so Be sure to like us, subscribe to the podcast, share us, follow us at Matt Reiner on Twitter and subscribe in your favorite podcasting app. So let's get into the really the fun part of this podcast. And this is with our our guest, Shanna Tingham, who has built both a consulting firm and her own financial planning firm, helping families, but then also helping advisors build efficient and effective practices. And and that's what I thought was so unique about uh, Shanna as a guest is that she has this experience of, of dealing with families, but also of helping firms be efficient. She did it herself. And the way that she did it is really interesting. She failed at her own technologies and had to overcome the same hurdles that we all as advisors go through when it comes to technology and process innovation, which is that it's challenging and that it doesn't work and that we don't want to change. And we have these these mental hurdles that we have to get over. And Shanna got over them continuously. And now she's helping other firms get over them. And she's helped multiple firms do that to create an efficient firm. One of the really unique things of this podcast that you'll hear is Shanna walks us through what a really efficient firm looks like, and you're going to listen to it and be like, no way that that's possible, but it is. And it really is. And there's a way of breaking it down that Shanna talks about uh, that's really interesting. And and the last point I think that's really interesting is that Shanna was four days away from walking away from this industry, throwing the towel in because she found herself doing the things that she didn't want to do. But a conference and four days worth of a conference changed her mentality ultimately keep her in the industry and we as an industry are so thankful for that so let's get to the real nuts of this podcast of what's most exciting and get to the conversation and i hope you enjoyed as much as i did and take away as much as i did from this conversation thank you again for joining and listening and i hope you enjoy the rest of the podcast
1: this is bridging the gap with your host matt reiner
0: Jana, welcome to Bridging the Gap. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm really excited about this conversation, excited to have you on. How are you doing uh, You know, in these interesting times?
1: Oh, wow. Crazier than usual. Um, it seems like every advisor in the country wants to go digital and automate their practices. And uh, so we've been uh, uh, running 90 to nothing the last six months.
0: You know, it's so interesting when you talk about that because, it, and I wonder if you feel the same way. It's it's almost like we've you know fast forwarded you know five or ten years in a span of five or six months. Yeah. Um, you know, is what is the impetus to that? Right? Is it just because of the forced change, or um, you know, was it the clients demanding it from their perspective? What are you seeing from the clients uh, on your side?
1: Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. So I think there were firms that were starting the shift and they hadn't maybe jumped all the way in. They were sort of tiptoeing around it. Um, And then there were other firms like mine that had jumped in with both feet a number of years ago and are just sort of fine tuning things now. And the other firms that really weren't jumping in with both feet are racing to catch up because they know that there's now that we have a digital world like we do, the 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 clients will be searching for the best advisor, not next door, but all across the country. So um, I, I think that it scared a lot of advisors and rightfully so.
0: Yeah. The force of fear kind of tends to make, uh, you know, action happen quicker, right? And when things are going good, and uh, it, it's slower to, to react and things are going good for, for a long period of time. Um, and, and I think that this is a great segue. I mean, you you know this space so well, and you were an early adopter. I mean, tell us how you, you know, some of your background, how you got into this space and what are your past experiences? And uh, I, I'd love to, you know, just hear about that. And I think our listeners would love to hear your background.
1: Yeah, for sure. Well, um, I've been in financial services my whole career. I was a bank teller right out of college and have sort of moved all around from real estate to mortgage to being on the HR and training side of a financial organization and the last ten years, I've been a, a fully licensed financial planner, starting with a big brand name that I would recognize if you sa- if I said it. And uh, uh, the last five years, being independent, owning my own company, so I've seen it all from a uh, customer experience and technology perspective. And you know, I really left the big name to open my own firm because I wanted two things I wanted to be able to control the client experience and what services and products I delivered to my clients and also to be able to pick the best pieces of technology that I thought worked for me and to, you know with the clients to be able to deliver that experience so you know when I started my firm I affiliated with a broker dealer Cambridge Investment Research that has flexibility as one of their core values and it was sort of a blessing and a curse because I didn't really know what I didn't know. And so I, you know, in the first year I changed financial planning software three times, um, phone systems, twice, CRMs twice. Um, (laughs) and, uh, it was, it was tough. It wasn't easy. And so it was that sort of experience that led me to, you know, the, 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 the goal and the desire to help other advisors avoid those same mistakes. That's so, you
0: know, when you talk about the, the, Going out on your own and, and joining a broker dealer, and then having to change technologies to create efficiencies. I mean, why? Why do you think that was the case? Is it is it in your mind a lack of resources out there in this industry uh, around that, or is it just a um, you know a lack of you know the right technology in the industry, or is it a balance of the two? I mean, because I think a lot of advisors go through that when they're starting to build their own firm. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I'd be interested to know now looking back on it, you know, you created an own firm to solve for that problem. So there's got to be a problem there. Well, <laughs> what do you think that it, it is on that side of it for our industry?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I think a big part of it is that there's this misconception with um, a lot of, you know, larger companies and larger firms that you have to have this certain technology stack um, that everybody else has, right? And they're, you know, from CRMs to financial planning software, to um you know you name it they um they're good at marketing those firms are good at marketing and there there are alternatives out there to almost every decision you make and you may not know about those alternatives or even really have somebody that can successfully help you implement them if you decide to go it your own way and and that's really what we found when we sort of moved away from the industry standard CRMs is that we had to create all of those systems and processes ourselves. But, and it took, you know, a lot of time and energy and money and I, I, I screwed it up and fixed it and screwed it up and fixed it. Um, but where we are today is something I'm really proud of. And it's what helped um, me decide to launch a side kind of uh, outside business activity, helping other advisors do the same thing. Because I hear the same frustrations over and over and over again from advisors. And that's really what I wanted to help them solve.
0: And I think that that's such like an interesting point with regards to the you failed and had to do it again and failed and do it again. And I think that that's where people in this industry just kind of give up and they yep. just give in and they just yep. accept for what we are as opposed to, you know, that time commitment that it takes to, to to build the right technology infrastructure for your firm. Because, you know, I think that everybody just falls back on this idea of, hey, I'm not a technology person. I want to just build relationships and help people with their financial situation. Um, And I think that that's such a key service that y'all provide with advisors. I mean, are you seeing that with advisors today that they just come to you and like, I just give up trying or do they (laughs) even had they even tried and they're just or they're just looking for a better way out and they may never have tried before?
1: Yeah, I think that a lot of them don't even really know what's possible. So, I mean, you know, they're, they've are they resigned themselves to the fact that they have, you know, they may have to hire a, an almost or a full-time staff member to manage the CRM. Um, they've got three or four or five different places where they're entering the same data and they've just built it in as part of their workflow. Or maybe they're a sole practitioner wanting to grow the business, but they don't see how that's possible because they spend their entire day doing these things. And so they're caught in that cycle of craziness and, Um, They don't really know what's possible. And then we talk and I show them what we've built. And it's literally the system that we use today. And their mind is blown that that level of automation exists in our infrastructure. And, And so I think that they just really haven't been exposed to it in a lot of cases. And they don't have the time to do the research, if they have been exposed to it, to even figure out where to start.
0: Yeah, it's like the education aspect, right? Of yeah. of what is needed in our space, because I think we've had this huge flux of of innovation on technologies, but there hasn't been enough influx in in push in terms of the education of what those technologies are. And I think that that's such an opportunity for for advisors and in, um, in the space. And I think that you're spot on there. Um, and I think that this kind of aligns. I think your whole background of of why you're doing what you're doing helps with this next question. It's one of my favorite questions to ask because I think it gives a deep dive into uh, helping listeners understand who each of our guests are. And I try to bring on people that have multiple different backgrounds and purposes and, and experiences. And you know, I always I always am a big I'm a big fan of Simon Sinek and, and his understanding of, you know, why yeah. uh, and his example of, you know, of Apple and their purpose versus other computer companies, you know, and and how they go about it. And so, you know, I always like to ask, you know, guests on the show, you know, what is your why in, <laughs> in in terms of why you get up every day and you spend time and you go through because you go through some challenges um, mm-hmm. just to do and to serve the people you do. So what is your why?
1: Yeah, that's a great question, too. Um, so I'll, I'll rewind a bit and kind of give you my I almost quit story. And, um, I really did almost quit about three years ago now. Um, and, and it was, ai uh, I won't bore you with all the details, but my husband had just had a cycling accident where his, um, wrist and shoulder were very badly injured and, um, I sort of had to become a caregiver a little bit as he rehabbed and, you know, all of those things. And I I was getting to the point where I was somewhat burned out by the financial um, business that I had created. I was doing a lot of my own portfolio management. I was doing, um, you know, all kinds of things in this business that I had built that I didn't love anymore. And that coupled with the stress at home. Um, I was kind of at the end of my rope. I, at the last minute scheduled myself to go to an industry conference that I had really enjoyed going to every year, but that year had decided not to go to because of everything that was going on in my life. And I kind of, at the last minute said, forget this, I'm going. And I went and, um, the first night after having probably won too many cocktails, (laughs) um, I sat down in the lobby hysterically crying and called my husband and I said, I want to quit. I want out. I can't do this anymore. And um, him being the wonderful man that he is, he said, you just tell me what we need to do to get you out. And I said, I'll tell you what, these next four days, I'm going to go to only the presentations I want to go to. I'm going to listen to only the speakers I want to listen to. And I'm going to do exactly what I want to do. And if I still feel this way, when I come home, we're going to come up with a plan to get me out. Um, And it was really those four days that changed my life because I then realized that I had built this business doing everything that I hated about the business, Um, you know, doing data entry and doing all of the portfolio management and all the trading myself. And what I really love about this business is the people and the conversations and the financial planning and the goal setting and all of those things. And I was doing none of that. And that was a really big light bulb moment for me. And so I came home and I said, here we're, here we go. I'm outsourcing all my investment management. I am building a better mousetrap. Um, and I really did. I, I threw the baby out with the bathwater. I completely re, um, designed my practice and started charging for financial planning where I hadn't been before, started charging an AUM percentage where I'd been almost strictly commissioned before. Um, and it was a rough year um, financially because, you know, I was build, I was starting again, but um, I wouldn't be here today if I hadn't gone through that. And really getting through that is what helps me, number one, keep getting up every day. I love having those conversations with clients when I can be in front of a client, having a conversation about what they want their life to look like 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years from now um that's my highest and best use in this industry it isn't data entry and trading stocks or mutual funds or any of that other stuff that i used to be doing and so on the consulting side then what i love doing is help show advisors that there's a way out of that because i'm living proof i made it through
0: that is that is just incredible and i think that's such an amazing story because i think that that's the way that the industry kind of needs to go as a whole. And you're kind of just like a single example of that, where you just, you know, like you said, uh, you know, just flipped the script, right? You went away Uh, from everything that you hated to -hmm. do what you really loved. And you rethought how to run your business and you, you took that chance and now you're on the other side of it and it, and it couldn't be better. Yeah. And I think that so many advisors are so scared of trying something new because the, this industry is in this mindset of if, if it ain't broke, why fix it? And yeah, I hate this, but it's just the way that it has to be, right? We we just have to do that. But in reality, you don't. And I think that right. you know, to, to your point, what COVID also showed is that I think a lot of advisors had this a, a assumption that they had to do things a certain way because that's what their clients expected of them. Because this is a relationship business, right? They 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 had to have in person meetings because clients expected that because it's their wealth or. They had to do X, Y, and Z and send, you know, paper statements because clients, all, all their older clients had to have paper statements. And they didn't have logins to the portal. And they found yeah. out real quickly that those assumptions were wrong. Yeah, And I think that clients even had some of those assumptions because our industry has built it up to be that way. And, uh, and we had to rethink and reshape it. And you are like a, you know, living example of, a, of, a, yeah. of doing that and, and seeing the other side of it. Uh, which should be, you know, a a story that that all advisors, you know, hop on. I think I, I love that that story being four days away from basically <laughs> doing something different and yeah. not having you be a, a voice for our industry uh, is is really incredible.
1: Well, and, and and during those four days, I was rewriting my resume in the hotel room. I mean, I was that close.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. I mean, that is that is uh, that is incredible. And, and and now you're helping advisors get out of it. And I think. You know, from your from from the interactions that you have with clients, you mm-hmm. know why when they come to you those initial mm-hmm. couple conversations after mm-hmm. you you know get some of the information from them on the consulting side and everything mm-hmm. of that nature, mm-hmm. why do they have such a difficult time getting over that hump, right? Why, mm-hmm. What is the what's the commonality of that of that challenge that advisors face to get over that hump?
1: Yeah, I think a lot of the time it's that they are afraid that their staff won't adopt the new technology or they, they, it will make their lives harder in the short term and they're not willing to live through the pain to get to the other side. So they're willing to continue doing it the way they've always done it for to a certain extent because. It's easier, and their assistant of twenty five years knows this technology backwards and forwards. And you know, like you know, how will they how will they learn? And and they're also a bit afraid that they won't be able to learn the new way of doing things because it's maybe the way they've always done it, and they're going to have to think differently and do some different things. And so, I think there's a lot of layers to that question for sure.
0: Yeah, and I think you know, as we as we peel those back, I think it's a it's a human it's a human aspect also, also, right? None yes. of us like change. And and no. none of us, you know, once we're comfortable with something, we don't it's not normal that we just, you know, go and do something like we, we we willingly raise our hand to go do something that is not as known and as um as as comfortable. And and we're a risk averse you know, we're a risk averse industry, right? Yeah. You know yeah. the uh, people feel the pain of losses more than they feel the 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 power and the benefit of gains. And yeah. Um and that's just the nature of the of the industry. And so we make decisions in our business the same way. But you know, I, I think that it's so interesting. You know, I was reading a, a book recently and it was talking about just, you know, self growth and, and everything. And you know, it was about this idea of, you know, getting later in life and, and having regrets. And you know, we always, you know, it's either like a, a loss, uh, a, you know, losing a loved one or, you know, some major catastrophe that makes us kind of sit back and be like, wow, I need to start, you know, I need to start calling my, my you know, my loved ones more, or my friends more. And, and then you start doing it for a period of time and then it just wanes off because you just get back yeah. to what was comfortable prior. Yeah. And, you know, but then you get to when you're, you know, 80, 90 years old, and you look back and you're like, shoot, I wish I would have called my, my parents or my loved ones one more time. And you have yeah. these regrets. And I think, you know, to me that relates to the financial advisor industry, right? I think that yep. you know we're in this time where, you know, I think I, I talk with a lot of advisors and and they say, you know, I just want to make sure that I don't make a decision that ten years I, in the future I look back and I'm like, why didn't I do that? And you can't predict <laughs> the future, but you can right. make changes of of doing things slightly differently. That if you are focused on that mission and it's just a matter of like getting that nudge. And and so I ask you, what has been a, what has been effective to help people? get over that, like that one concern that you mentioned of, you know, it's going to make my life harder in the short term or, or, you know, you know, John Joe was always doing this before and he knows how to do it already. Why do I want to change it up? How have you gotten people over that? Uh, yeah. that, that concern?
1: Yeah, well, I think a couple of things. Obviously, COVID speed, you know, put this, the the warp speed on things a little bit because there were a lot. Even though my financial practice is uh, could be run entirely virtually even before all of this, and I had a disaster recovery plan and all of those things, um, I think I was in the minority with respect to that. And so there were a lot of firms who were used to all of their people coming into the office and had the physical files and all of that stuff. And then all of a sudden within, you know, a week, we were all trying to figure out how to work from home. And so, you know, they didn't really have any of the digital collaboration tools or automation tools or any of those things and found themselves sort of tripping over either each other or the systems that they had and really they kind of got frustrated and, and were like, okay, well, this we've got to make this work because this, this uh, pandemic isn't going away. Um, so I think that forced our hand in a lot of respects. But with a lot of the clients that we worked on prior to the pandemic, it was really like they had an I've had it moment too. And maybe it was where they made an error in putting in client information that they shouldn't have. Or maybe it was they lost a client to another firm that had, you know, more slick technology or a better client experience or something, or their assistant retired after 30 years and they were bringing in somebody new. And now they're like, thank God I can innovate. Um, So they, they, they all kind of had that, that experience in, um, in common And then I think a lot of folks had a similar experience around everybody trying to figure out how to, you know, work virtually in the COVID environment.
0: Yeah. You know, it, it, you know, the COVID was that, that moment that you can relate to the personal life. That is that moment where it's like that catastrophe or that, you know, you're losing the loved one moment where you're like, okay, like I see now I want to do more of this and, the, and, you know, and, and, and uh, I'd be interested to know if you agree and disagree or, or in some background on maybe why with the statement is, you know, I really I am a firm believer that the firms that take this moment to innovate and don't lose you know, that mentality of what this moment felt like are going to be the ones that separate themselves. And I think over the next 10 years, there's going to be this drastic separation between yes. the, 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 the the efficient client experience and elegant client experience firms and those that just were were kept on delaying and delaying. Um, and, and I think that this is a moment in time, but it's also a moment to, to that will define our industry going forward.
1: Yeah, I would absolutely agree and I, you know I think our industries had a number of these right in recent memory, the, the financial crisis, um, you know the the tech bubble, and you know what comes out of those for for those of us that do what we do on the front lines with clients are different kinds of conversations. Um, I think right now there's uh, you know the focus is moving away from the you know you being the jack of all trades, master of none, the stock picker, the financial you know um, uh, uh, product salesman to financial planning and behavioral finance and all of the stuff that w- that those of us that love that piece of the business or are cheering about because those are the those are the conversations I love to have rather than the PE ratio and the alpha and the beta of a certain investment vehicle you know um and, and so, that's what
0: and that's what study yeah. after study shows is most beneficial right is yes. the conversations right that's where the value of an advisor is it's not from tax loss harvesting and <laughs> and, and allocation. It's from behavioral management and, and psychological management to keep people from doing silly things. Yes. And if we can do more of that and have more time to do that, then isn't that going to mean that we're going to be perceived more valuable to our clients?
1: Well, absolutely. And that's, I mean, my firm belief is that in the next 10 or so years, the, the, the upcharge that, that we place on managed money as advisors is going to disappear. That spread is going to disappear. Um, and and because that is a commodity. And so we are going to have to replace our revenue and our value to our clients in, in a tangible way that, um, uh, some of us are already starting to do. And honestly, others need to catch up.
0: Right. Do you, do you see a world in this, in this space where, um, the AUM fee will stay around, but the services for that AUM fee will be expanded beyond, um, investment management or in your mind is the world, the AUM fee goes away and you have to reshape that industry. I, I, I have a, I, I'm just curious on your perspective. Yeah. On that.
1: Yeah. I don't know. I think a lot of that depends on how you structure your fees. Right. So I have friends in the industry that charge a, a similar or higher AUM fee to mine and they include financial planning in that fee. And that's one of the services they provide. Um, I personally like to separate the two. I charge a financial planning fee and an AUM fee and you get one, the other or both, but I don't discount my AUM fee or my financial planning fee. Um, and they're very distinct services. If, you're, if I'm managing your money, those are the only conversations we have. And if I'm doing financial planning and not managing your money, then we have different conversations and and so on. And so I like to keep them separate, but I know that isn't the case with every firm.
0: Yeah, and I think that we are just humans. Like, there's we're always hard to find the gray. And I think that the the idea of the the fee compression and the the AUM fee going away, uh, you know, I think that there's a way to make it work. It just is a matter of figuring out you know, in in delivering value beyond. Financial, just investment management, and if you want to just do investment management, you're right. That's a commodity, and that's yep. going to go away. Yep. But you have to you have to be doing more, and you have to provide more services yep. for that fee. And you have to let your clients see that, right? And they have yes. to understand that and perceive that there is more value beyond investment management. If they're not, then you have a challenge that you can probably solve with technology with regards to communication and and and, and what you're delivering on a day day to day basis. Uh, that will help them see that it is beyond investment management. And to be honest, just as we've been talking about here, that's a better conversation to have with clients because some oh. things that are out of our control is performance. We all know it's a reversion yeah. back to the mean. So right. why don't you change the conversation in this industry to things that we can control, which is yep. you know what, is, what are their desires in life? Helping them find that, helping them make sure that their structure allows for them to, to reach all those desires, et cetera. Um, and I think you're spot on with that.
1: Yeah. And it it does change the conversation, you know, like in, in March when everything was going to heck in a handbasket in the market, um, I was reminded of all the conversations I've had for the last couple of years with every one of my clients that we don't know when, and we don't know how, but we know a correction is coming. And so here's what we do when that happens. And without fail, I had, um, you know, 20 or 30 conversations in those, in that first month that the market was going crazy. And every single one of them said to me, we know what to do. Um, you've taught us well, and we haven't looked at our account because we know that's the wrong thing to do. We know we're not going to make any changes anyway. And we know you'll let us know if we, if there's something we need to do. And that's, you know, it's easier said than done when you're an advisor, but, those, the, those are the conversations you have prior to the crisis are more valuable. And that behavioral coaching when you're in the crisis is more valuable than any money management technique.
0: You could have said it better. And, and, you know, I'm still involved with uh, two different man- wealth management firms and, and, you know, you know, they both did an exceptional job during the crisis. And, and it's because the, the ethos of those companies is, you know, when things are good, you talk about, you know, you prepare for what we know is inevitable. Don't yeah. spend time gloating about how good you are. Keep realis- realism in the conversations and let yeah. them know because then it's better to handle that. And you're now controlling that process and keeping, not to, not to deceive, you're controlling to help people from doing silly things because we all know that losses impact us more, as I mentioned earlier, and you start yeah. to become irrational. And if we can help that process... Then it becomes a better experience for the client because you help yep. them reach their goals. And if you're always talking about what this means to their goals, then it's always an easier conversation than just "Hey, this is what the S and P did, and this is what our portfolio did." Yep. Um, and I think it's such a better conversation. You know, we, we we've been talking a lot about like efficiency and need to provide more services and you know and value and and getting beyond investment management. And you know, I think that in order for financial advisors, I think that in my opinion, one of the hurdles that advisors have is that they're like, this is the way that I've always done it. And for me to rethink, and we talked about this earlier, rethink how I do my business is really hard. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and it's hard for me. I'm so stretched and strapped for time now yeah. um, that I can't go do more. I can't do more <laughs> deeper financial planning. Like I, I don't have enough time. I barely have enough time to do what I'm doing right now. And so that ultimately gets back to being more efficient. And so from mm-hmm. your perspective, Thinking about like a firm technology and process-wise, what is like a can are you able to provide like a specific or you know you know clear vision of what an efficient financial advisor looks like, right? What do their days look like? What does their technology look like? How are they using their technology? You know, in a in a distilled way for people to be like, okay, I get where I need to get to now.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm certainly not perfect and I don't have it all figured out. I'll start by saying that. But um, where I am today and where I was four years ago are vastly different. So I would just say this. Imagine a world where you have a system set up where a client onboards themselves, inputs all of their information into a, a piece of technology, attaches all their statements Um, sends that over to you and you have workflows built in your CRM to take that information as soon as you get it, assign the task to the people that need to do it. The data transfers over seamlessly. You only have to enter in the information that you need maybe once and double check to make sure that the data transfer happened. Um, Clients are getting welcome emails, Tasks are getting completed, paperwork's getting signed, um, and money is transferring over and financial planning agreements are, um, launching and being executed. And, and really your time is spent talking to those clients and interfacing with your staff and not dealing with the paperwork and pushing that around and gathering the data. Um, that world exists. It's completely possible. Um, it's just takes some time to get there. So
0: let me just—I'm going to be the listener on the other side. What sure. you just said sounds impossible. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. In the but the but but the, in order to get there, you have to be focused and have yeah. a define definition of. You can't first off do all that. I mean, it's taken you years, right? You yeah, you it got to ha- Well, yeah, it's got to be. bite-sized, totally. right.
1: Yeah, it does have to be bite-sized. So I would say, you know, there are, um, it, it took me probably two years to get to this point where I felt really good about my process. And that's mainly because I didn't have a process to find. I was sort of every client I was onboarding, I was sort of flying by the seat of my pants and, and, um, you know, it was a, every new account and new financial planning agreement was in, was, was, I was recreating the wheel And so if you don't have a defined process, that's probably where you need to start. Um, And that's honestly part of why I think our consulting business that we help advisors in works so well, because my husband, Eric, comes from a large scale government project management role. Um, where he's been for 30 years. And so he's managed billion dollar and multi-billion dollar projects and the finances related to those. And so he's got project management and process experience that I could only dream of having. Um, And so that's the first part of implementing any sort of new solution into your practice at this level. If you decide to completely change your process, um, you've got to know what that process is first.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah yeah I think that the flying by the seat of the pants is is the way of this industry right I mean it's just yeah. because the firms that are growing they're like um, they're so focused on growth and rightfully so that they don't have the ability to work on the business and you know I always call it businessizing our business right it's time for us to, as an industry to start taking a step back and getting the right people in place whether it's you as the founder or not that that can start looking at the processes and start implementing them and executing on them so that we can create efficiency overall. And that's business sizing, right? Not just doing it the way, you know, that the, the initial founders, you know, 25 years ago did right. Things yep. are different now. There's a better opportunities, better ways of doing it. Um, it doesn't mean that the way they did it was wrong. It's just that no. it's evolution of time.
1: Yeah. Time has evolved. And we're seeing a lot of these multi-generational practices that, you know, dad started it and son has come in now and is like, dad, you cannot continue to do financial planning on an Excel spreadsheet with a yellow pad. There are actual software packages to do this. And from a fiduciary standpoint, we have to do this. We have to implement some of this technology because we can't, we're can't. we exposed if we don't.
0: And I can really relate to what you're saying about a family business. I mean, I come from a family business within our wealth management firm, right? We have a, you know, my dad started 25 years ago. And as you're alluding to about uh, you know the way of financial planning, the old way of doing business, and then reshaping it. It, it took time yeah. to be able to evolve the thinking of of, of my dad to, to <laughs> kind of evolve the way that we ran our business. And so, but that is the way that this industry is, right? You have a lot of those same people that are still in the business because they love why they got in the business and why they got in the business was creating relationships and helping to you know have you know help families. And now the business is changing and it's just not in their kind of MO. Um, yeah. And so it, it, it is difficult to, to overcome that. And I mean, ha- how have you seen uh, some of those families overcome that on your side?
1: Well, I think that the key in this scenario is really to let mom or dad, who's you know um, passing the baton, do what they love to do, and then the younger advisors step in and take take the reins on the technology. So you know, let mom or dad have the client conversations and and make all the notes on the yellow pad, and then hand those off to um, somebody younger or that wants to do the pieces of technology. Um, maybe that starts as a paraplanner or a junior advisor. And you know th- that can work really well because then the old dog doesn't have to learn new tricks. And uh, the young person that's moving into the business can really learn the business from the ground up.
0: Yeah, I think that that's a really good way of doing it, easing them into it um, from that standpoint. Well, you've been an amazing guest and I wanna be respectful of your time. And, and so I wanna wrap this up with really two questions. Uh, the first one is one of my favorite questions that I have and I and I ask everybody that I talk to this question because you know I, I, I think that this industry we talk about innovation, we talk about changing, we talk about evolving firms, and it, it sounds great and there's so many ways and ideas around doing it, but there's still just a lot of people out there that that don't need to do it. And you know, in, in reality, there they have a point, right? Business is good, they're growing their revenues, their business may be growing, they have a good life. Why do they need to change? And so I always ask people. Why are firms going to be forced to change? What is going to be that moment that is going to cause firms to really just ultimately change and evolve their businesses? What's going to be that forcing moment?
1: Yeah, I think we may be in the middle of it right now in a lot of cases. Um, there's also the question of what happens to the firm when you're no longer running it. And so if you don't have an active succession plan or a transition plan in place to sell the pr- the practice If we don't get on board now and sort of start to develop some of these new technologies and processes, um, you won't get nearly what you think your firm is worth if you go to sell it, you know, as you're ready to exit the business. So um, from a client service perspective, fiduciary perspective, as well as being able to get the value out of it, you've worked so hard to build, you've got to get on board now.
0: Yeah, I think that that and it's ultimately right when, when things start to drift away and you know, you have that moment of either you have a year of lost revenue or decreased revenue or you, you start seeing clients leave and you start having that. that those are some of those moments. Uh, and I think that you're right. We may be in the moment of one of those periods of time that, that causes that change. And so mm-hmm. I'll, I'll leave with this question. I ask everybody, what does our industry look like in 10 years? <laughs> How does it look the same? How does it look different? What does this industry look like 10 years from today?
1: Yeah, well, my 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 most um, fervent hope is that it looks far more diverse than it does today. I know we've had a lot of those conversations, conversations as a nation recently, but we need more women. Um, we need more um, diversity all across the board, honestly, younger folks. Um, we need that, you know, those younger generations to be interested in what we do. And I think that the only way that that happens is that we continue to evolve away from the money management and more into the counseling, coaching, consulting role. Um, And so as I alluded to earlier, I think that it looks like we make the majority of our revenue, if not all of our revenue, from coaching clients, behavioral consulting, and financial planning. And I'm excited, honestly, for that um, to happen in our industry.
0: I love that. And I think that it is a, um, it's a—it's an iterative approach, right? We can't solve and make the change in one day. It's just yeah. a constant talking about it, a constant iteration and evolving. Um, and I think that that's what all advisors need to take away is that take small bits and then you'll look back and be amazed at how well things have changed and evolved. And, and if we can yeah. do that approach, then our industry is going to look far better. In, in 10 years than even it is today. And I don't think it's in a bad shape. It's just going to look even better. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Me too. I'm so excited about it.
0: Well, Shannon, thank you so much for your time, your insight. It's amazing. I love your story and <laughs> just for, you know, dedicating you know this time to, to the show and to the listeners. It's really, really much appreciated. So thank you so much.
1: Oh, thanks so much for having me. It was great chatting.
0: Great chat with you and look forward to chat with you again soon.
1: You bet. Have a great day. I uh, do too. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Bridging the Gap. Don't forget to give us a rating and let us know what you think.